This is Tom Martin, author of The Invisible Sale, How to Build a Digitally Powered Marketing and Sales System to Better Prospect, Qualify, and Close Leads. And you are listening to Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. Hello and welcome to this hopefully short-lived series that will be airing in addition to the weekly marketing book podcast interviews. I'm your host, Douglas Burdett, and my goal during this unusual time is to reconnect you with past guests on the Marketing Book Podcast, share some ideas and inspiration, and maybe a much-needed laugh or two. I've interviewed over 200 authors on the show, and my plan is to continue this series until I either run out of authors or quarantine, whichever comes first. A word of warning, the host and guest may very likely be drinking cocktails during these conversations. I mean, come on. They are recorded during the cocktail hour. To find the show notes for each episode with pictures of each guest and links mentioned in their conversation, visit marketingbookcocktails.com. Marketingbookcocktails.com. See what I did there? And if you'd like to join the conversation, email a voice recording to me at douglas at salesartillery.com, and I'll try to include it in a future episode. I'd love to hear from you. Otherwise, connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat. Tom Martin, welcome to Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. How are you? Well, I am good, and thank you for giving me an excuse to start happy hour early today. Yes, well, uh, earlier than usual. I don't know. Now, wait a minute. You're in uh, New Orleans, right? I am in New Orleans. It's only uh, it. I, I'm starting about an hour early, but I'm okay with that. For you, <laughs> okay, so I you're... will do. I will do this for you. Thank you, thank you. Uh, I I appreciate your sacrifice, and so do the listeners to the Marketing Book Podcast. So, what is going on in your quarantined world? What's what happened since things sort of locked down? Ah, you know, it's really it's been kind of interesting because uh, our company was built to be virtual from the get-go. When I started it 10 years ago, I purposely built it to, to be able to, so I could run it from anywhere in the world with a laptop and a phone. That was my goal. And so the whole virtualization and quarantine and all that really didn't uh, affect us that much. I mean, now instead of folks coming in the office and working maybe one or two days a week, they don't come in at all, but it's no big deal. But because we're a small company, because our offices is actually an old shotgun house in New Orleans, where each office is its individual, you know, it used to be a bedroom. We, because of Louisiana quarantine statues, I'm allowed to come to the office every day. So I've basically just been getting up every day and coming to the office and working. And, and it really hasn't changed our world very much. We're fortunate enough that our clients were in, you know, B2B and alcohol predominantly right now. And so neither of those industries really pulled back. Uh, right away. So it's been kind of business as usual to some extent for us uh, with a little bit of actual uptick because uh, we do a lot of social sales training, you know, and teaching people the five P's and how to sell greatly. And part of that is is, um, teaching people how to sell virtually over Zoom calls and things of that nature. So we've actually seen an uptick in people wanting to buy new services from us because now everybody wants to learn how to sell over Zoom and so forth. So you were allowed to come into the office with everyone or because you're the owner of the business, you're allowed to come in? No, we actually could have had everyone. The, the Louisiana statute, if you were below a certain number of employees, which we, we are, we're a small firm. Um, but as long as you had the ability to be in your own office 
where you were completely closed, not like in a cube environment, which we're not. Everybody sits in their own, like I said, it's an old house. So we, each bedroom is now an office. As long as you're able to do that and, and obviously socially distance from one another, uh, you are allowed to to enter an office. Um, and so we, but actually, like I said, us, most of my folks are, are virtual anyways. And so uh, I came to the office every day because I don't have an office at the house. My wife we have an office at our house, but that's her office. And uh, so I came just for sanity reasons um, mm-hmm. and was completely social distance because there was almost nobody here. Like on any given day, there might be one or two other people here. But for the most part, it was, you know, pretty, pretty lightly. Like right now, I'm I, other than my son who's chilling out in the conference room, uh, you know, I'm the only person in the building today. So it's it's been socially distant, but luckily not too jarring. Mm. And I think actually a blessing. I think, you know, I talked to my friends who are having to work at home and don't maybe have that home office and, and they're losing their minds. Um, mm. and, uh, and, and, and too, just for me, for, I found just for the whole, uh, just the routine, you know, it just getting up and leaving the house and going to an office just kind of had a little bit of a semblance of normalcy mm-hmm. that was just enough to hold on to, to maintain sanity. I mean, I couldn't go to the gym and work out, but at least I could leave and, and go to the office. So that's been kind of good. I think. Yeah. Oh, well, you hear about people who are working at home. Uh, It's real important to establish routines of some kind uh, because there was another author I was talking to who shared that when you don't have routines, there's a much greater cognitive load on your brain that you actually have to think about each day. So uh, believe it or not, some of those routines are helpful. So we got to go back in time because Tom Martin – you were on episode 41 of the Marketing Book Podcast in October of 2015. And last week, I published episode 281. So there may be some new listeners who haven't binge listened all the way back to episode 41. So do them a favor and tell them who you are and uh, more about what you do. You mentioned your firm, Converse Digital. Yeah, well, I'm I'm uh, Tom Martin. I'm a 25 year vet of the sales and marketing world, and I was lucky enough to be on your show back in 2015 in support of my book, The Invisible Sale, which was really a, a I took uh, I spent 10 years building uh, I guess what is is a quasi inbound type sales prospecting uh, methodology, the prospecting methodology that we use here at Converse Digital. And finally codified that into a book, sort of a field marketing kit, if you will, that, you know, people who maybe couldn't afford to hire us, they could read the book and and they could try to, you know, deploy our programs and processes on their own. And that book really took you up to and just lightly touched on the point of, okay, now you're actually speaking to someone, you, you've got a live lead, you're face to face or on the phone with them or whatever. And it kind of lightly touched on it, but then, you know, sort of stopped. And uh, so now what we do is, is obviously we help companies do that, which is really developing content marketing and social uh, approaches to top of funnel type uh, results. And then now we've, for about the last five years, we've been focusing more on after the sale, uh, what we call sell greatly and the five P's of sell greatly and, and codifying that into a book now, but this Corona thing kind of got in the way of that. So, uh, now what we do is, is a lot of just really teaching people how to turn conversations into customers. Uh, a lot of times that can be through digital tools, can also be through some face-to-face, but it's a, it's a, it's a sales uh, approach that is really based on relationship first versus transaction first and really building those relationships. So you never just sell somebody something once, 
you sell them something and then you keep selling them things on you know in an ongoing environment. And we do a lot of training in the form of keynotes, uh, workshops, webinars, coaching, uh, and that sort of thing. And you are also, Tom Martin, you're the um, former left-handed Major League Baseball relief pitcher. Is that right? God, don't I wish that would explain. The only left-handed relief pitcher we have in our family is my son, who was actually a very good left-hander, but he was a starter. He didn't like relief pitching because, as he told me one day, he didn't like coming in to clean up other people's messes. Oh, excuse me. Well, I hope his uh, Little League coaches appreciated that they had a Tom Martin on their team. Or no, his his name's not Tom, is it? No, it's Davis Martin. But yeah, no, they did. He was average. He was actually a hell of a little pitcher. He uh, he probably could have thrown the ball in college, but he decided that he wanted to go be a doctor. And so pre med and baseball probably were not a good combination. So he just opted for pre med. Oh, and I was you know I was I was fine with that. So, so he's in. Is he in college now? He is. He's uh, he'll uh, he'll be starting his senior year at uh, TCU in Fort Worth. Oh, uh, go uh, Horn Frogs. I know, I know. It's uh, it's it's fun. In fact, his younger brother will be starting as a freshman in August at TCU. So oh. the two of them will actually overlap for a year. So we we've got we've got a lot of horn frogs going on in our house. Wow! And you couldn't get him to go to any uh, Louisiana state schools. No, nah, neither of my my daughter went to LSU, but my none of my my boys did not want to stay in Louisiana. They wanted to go uh, out of Louisiana, and um, yeah, my, they both. Unfortunately for me, they both wound up at my wife's alma mater, so she takes great joy. And oh, in, she went to in, TCU. Yeah, she takes great joy in reminding me that I'm that I'm o for three now. Uh, in children, I haven't gotten one to go to UT because uh, I'm a Texas Longhorn. Yes, and I've, I've got one. I've got one down down the hall in the conference room right now that I've got about five years to brainwash so I can maybe get you know go one for th- you know one for four and bat two fifty uh, on this college thing, but we'll see. I don't know. Well, just a pro tip uh, for my kids are now out of college. Uh, if you want them to go somewhere. Try not to encourage them to go there, and it usually works better. <laughs> so <laughs> your, your youngest may go to uh, the University of Texas, and you went to the University of Texas. You're from Austin, Texas, right? Yeah, I actually was born uh, up in Ohio, but I, I my formative years were all spent growing up in Austin. And I, of course, I stayed there to go to college. And did you live at home while you went to the University of Texas? I, you know, I did. Uh, my freshman year, I moved. I, I moved downtown. My, my dad and mom were pretty smart. They said, "Look, we'll we'll cover tuition. Uh, you've and and um, and books, but you've got if you know if you if you don't want to live at home, you want to live downtown. That's all on you. Room and board's all on you." And at the time, Texas was uh, $12 a credit hour. So, like a sem- my my entire collegiate education cost my parents maybe five grand. Mm. which is like crazy. I pay more than that to send my kids to high school for one year. And, uh, but, but they knew the room and board was really where the money was going to get spent. Right. And so I, so I, I went down my freshman year, got an apartment with a buddy of mine from high school. And then like halfway through the year, he decides he's going to go to Canada to go to college and leaves me hanging while I couldn't afford the apartment by myself. So I moved home and I lasted about six or seven months. And my, my dad came to me finally one day in like July and he says, Hey, you know, you, you keep telling me like you could live downtown by yourself, but you know, you're, you're, you're just short every month. You can't quite, you know, make the bills. How much are you short every month? And I said, well, you know, dad, probably about 200 bucks. Like if I had an extra $200 every month, I could probably swing it. It'd be tight. I'd have to be frugal, 
but I could, I could pull it off. He's like, done. You're moving out in August. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, Oh, okay. So it was sort of a win-win. He got him and my mom got their house back and they got rid of their, you know, collegiate son who didn't think rules applied to him anymore. And, um, and I got a, I got an apartment by myself in downtown Austin. It was great. I see. Now, uh, are you related to Steve Martin or Dean Martin or Ricky Martin? No, I wish I had any of their relations, but um, I'm which, not. I'm just. Which one know. do you look most like? Wow, right now probably Ricky because I've been I'm 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 well tanned from you know yes. being out at the lake uh, for the last few months. Well, yeah, and you're and you're you're looking very good. I mean, you are not an unattractive man, Tom Martin, and and I know this because I've met you at least once, uh, maybe twice at Content Marketing World, and uh, yeah, I look like you're you're even more fit. So yeah, I think um, let's go with Ricky Martin. You don't have the white hair. Um, you look a lot younger than you look at, or at least you look younger than somebody that has three college aged, uh, children. Well, I, you know what? You say the nicest things to your guests. Thank you. Well, it's said That's purely it. out I, my of day, jealousy. My, my day is over now. I'm done. I've just won the whole flipping day. This is awesome. Well, and, and we're in separate states now, so you don't have to worry about me, you know, uh, getting weird or, or, or following you around like I did at the, the, the trade show floor at Content Marketing World. But uh, let's go back to University of Texas. You were the first University of Texas grad that I interviewed on the, the Marketing Book podcast. And there has been another that I've interviewed twice. And, and this is real important Marketing Book podcast trivia. Tomorrow, I'm interviewing her. She's coming on Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails, Shama Hyder. She's the author of The Zen of Social Media Marketing and uh, Momentum, How to Propel Your Marketing and Transform Your Brand in the Digital Age. Both excellent books. Have you ever met her? I feel like I have, but but I just, I don't know. Maybe like at a frat party at Texas or something? Probably not. I uh, She's a little younger, actually. Yeah, most people are. I find um, I'm, I'm usually the old man in the world. And while you're a good-looking guy, sh- she's uh, even better looking than you are. So you know, I know it's apples to oranges here, but uh, <laughs> clearly, well, uh, yeah, Texas but, was known for that. You know, yeah, we, we yeah, were, we, we were pretty well known for 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 having that particular trait. Yeah, uh, and, on our campus. Well, I'm sure I I went to high school in Texas, and I think there were only like 50 people in my class, and gosh. Like 30 of them were accepted to Texas. I mean, that's where everybody went. That's where all the cool kids went and and the attractive people too. So now I did interview one graduate of uh, Texas A&M University. And uh, he, uh, Chad, Chad S. White, author of Email Marketing Rules, terrific book on email. That's pretty much the definitive book on email marketing. He updates it all the time. And uh, so I had to bring up Tom Martin and Shama Hyder when you know I interviewed him. And he said that both his parents went to our graduates of Texas. So naturally, I said, well, is it is it really uncomfortable for them when they go to you know alumni parties and people find out that their son went to Texas A&M. I mean, how, 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 how do you feel about all that, Tom? Well, I, 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 it's kind of funny because I actually had a, a lot of friends who went to A&M for whatever reason. When I came out of high school, a lot of my friends went to A&M. I, there was only a handful of us that went to Texas. And 
I had a very simple, you know, rule with my kids as they were coming up um, because Louisiana has something called TOPS. Provided you're a pretty good student coming out of high school, you can go to LSU or any state school for free. You just have to pay um, your room and board. So it's like a, you know, it's like a full scholarship basically. And so I, I told all my kids, I'm like, look, here's the deal. You can go to LSU for free or you can go to any other school in the world for free with two notable exceptions. Texas A&M and Oklahoma. <laughs> Other than that, it's good. You can go anywhere. And and thank God, none of them even wanted to sniff either of those two schools. So, but no, I laugh. It's actually, you know, I, I have, like I said, I've got, you know, clients and friends and stuff that are, that are Aggies. I, I used to actually spend a, a decent amount of time on that campus when I was in college because I would go up on the weekends and visit my friends because the beer was super cheap uh, in oh, A&M. At College Station. <laughs> Yeah, college station. They'd be like, you go up there like two dollar beers, and you're like, oh my god, I'm in heaven. And uh, but no, it's it's funny, and it's funny because I've got friends of mine who, you know, the husband and wife were both Longhorns, and their daughter, you know, just started at A and M because she couldn't actually get into Texas because it's gotten so hard for even in-state students to get into the Austin campus because it's just so big, and they're trying to you know, keep the population down Mm. that a lot of kids who would like back in my day would have easily gotten in. They aren't getting in. They're being told they can go to UT Dallas or UT San Antonio or something. And so they're all, you know, and A&M's not stupid. A&M's like, well, hey, come on down the road to Mm A&M. We'll hook you up. Uh, And so there, a lot of them are, a lot of them are going to A&M, but yeah, it's a great school. I, I, and I actually really, really miss the old Texas, uh, Texas A&M rivalry. We don't play them in football anymore. We used to play them every year on Thanksgiving. Wait, they don't, they don't still play. Uh, They, in fact, you know, I I saw it the other day. I actually have the newspaper the day it was announced. I have like the headline on the Austin American Statesman um, announcing that the, the end of the, of the tradition. And I've, I've, you always hear rumors that they're going to try to do it. The, the football coach, Tom Herman's on record saying he wants to do it. Um, but yeah, it's like one, it was like one of the great college traditions that died because A&M moved into the SEC. Mm-hmm. And of course, Texas went to the, you know, into the, is in the big 12 and the college football has just gotten to where you, you just don't really, you can't really have a lot of non-conference games. Um, you know, because you got to have a couple of little sister Mary of the Poor's you can whip up on for practice. Like the school I went to, yes. We make a right. lot of money off the football team by getting right. beaten. Well, and, you know, if you're in the Big 12, you've got, you know, you're playing every other team in the Big 12. And so you're, you know, you're, you're filling up. You only got so many games a year. So, yeah, that, that uh, traditional game went, to the, to, went by the wayside, which is, I think, one of the great, terrible things that's happened in college sports. Well, I think uh, the Texas legislature may want to legislate that they need to be playing each other. Just like uh, the Alabama legislature, as I recall, got involved with uh, Auburn and Alabama playing and then not playing and forcing them back into a a competition. So I should uh, fully disclose here that I didn't apply to Texas, but I did apply to Texas A&M and I almost went there, but I went somewhere else. So, uh, you know, kind of. Where did you end up going? I went to VMI, Virginia Military Institute, which is also a Division I school, but it is one of the smallest Division I schools in the country, which is why everyone wants to play it. And our last winning football season was my senior year, the fall of 1981, early in the Reagan administration. So, so anyone that complains about not having a winning football team, it's like, hey, hold my beer. (laughs) 
but you know what? I couldn't be more proud of my of my VMI key debts. So, hey, I just wanted to mention one other thing, and then I want to get into a couple uh, things that are actually of, uh, quite of great interest to my listeners. Last September, you called me on my birthday. I really appreciate that. I didn't get a call from anybody, but I got a call from Tom Martin. You, good sir, are the man. Well, you know, I'm trying to get back to that. When I was younger, um, back before we had Facebook and all that, to remind you of people's birthdays, I used to do that religiously. I had my little electronic Casio organizer and I had you know, everybody's birthdays in it and it would tell me and I would call them and, and, and it was just a great thing to do. And then as I got older and social media, I started doing what everybody does. Oh, happy birthday on social media or whatever. And then I, about a year ago or so, I said, you know, I'm going to get back to that because it's great. It, it forces you at least once a year to touch base with people, what's going on in their lives, reconnect. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, you know, that's a great idea because I see them every day. Well, I'll get an announcement on Facebook. I don't, I had this a Chrome plugin I use called Newsfeed Eradicator for Facebook. So you can't actually see the newsfeed, which we know is a very seductive vortex of time. Right. But you can go on there, it puts up like a quote, an inspirational quote or something. But you can go on there and see if somebody's left you a message. And that's what, that's what I do. And I'll see the notation, uh, the, the notification that's somebody's birthday. That's a cool idea. Um, I may have to. Do, I, I may steal that. Uh, yet another thing, I'm going to steal from you. I hope uh, you do. I actually had somebody call me. Uh, and I think uh, I just Gary, did. I just miss your birthday at the beginning of June. It just yeah, it just was uh, last week. I think yeah, I'm last sorry. week. Sorry. Well, now no, I can plan crazy. ahead. I can plan ahead. I got I got twelve no. and a half months, eleven yeah. and a half months to get ready. You know, and it's great though because it does. Like I had uh, Carrie uh, uh, O'Shea Gorgon. Uh, just called me like, you know, belatedly yesterday or day before and saying me a little happy birthday. And, you know, because I had same thing, I had called her last year and she just was cracking. I'm just like, Oh my God, I can't believe somebody actually called me on my birthday. And, uh, so it's great, you know, and it's good. I've had people that really, you know, get a kick out of it and it's all, it's resulted in great calls. And I had one person I hadn't called in like 10 years and she actually, when she answered, she's like, Oh my God, did you just butt dial me? <laughs> my wife says that all the time when I intentionally call her. You'll get there, Tom. Actually, you've been married for how long? Uh, this November will be 25 years. Okay, yeah. Well, when you hit 29 years, you're going to start hearing stuff like that. Um, you know, just to show you where it is, my wife uh, is not in the house, but she was calling, having a conversation with our daughter who was downstairs. And I our daughter made the mistake of leaving the phone, her iPhone on speaker, or she actually turned it on speaker so I could hear them having their conversation. And then I started kind of mixing myself into the conversation, which was really kind of bothering them both. And they were like, dad, enough with the jokes. You know, these just, it's not funny. And I said, well, I'm not, I don't, I'm not saying these jokes because I think you'll find them funny. I find them funny. So at that point, and this is really, I think this is impressive. They both started speaking French to each other so that I couldn't understand. <laughs> when you have these really talented, well-educated, uh, cultured yeah. family members, uh, like my wife and my daughter, it comes back to bite you. But anyway, I, so if there's any listeners out there from France who might be able to help me with some of this, I'd, you know, I'd really appreciate it. And listen, Tom, I'm going to do you a big favor. Next year on June 3rd, I think it is, when I – try to call you on your birthday, I am not going to sing birth- happy birthday to you. Just as a favor, I'm not going to try and sing, okay? 
<laughs> I will. I will. I will look forward to As not being sunk. Yeah. Well, let's talk about this quarantine. What have you? What's really surprised you about it, if anything? <laughs> You know, what's kind of surprised me about it is, uh, one, um, how much, how enjoyable it's actually been to slow down and to, you know, because, you know, we've got, you know, I've got four kids and, and, you know, one of them, two of them are ones in high school, ones in junior high. And so, and they, you know, one plays travel, you know, baseball and all that. And, you know, not them not having practices, them not having school events, them not having things for us that, that were required to go to. It's it really slowed life down. And all of a sudden, the whole family would be sitting together outside because the weather here this spring was gorgeous. We'd all be sitting outside on the porch watching TV or hanging out at six o'clock after dinner. And we didn't really know what to do with ourselves. And we had to actually like engage as a family and do things, <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, my, my youngest son likes golf. So we bought a little chipping set with a net, like a little practice chipping. And he and I would have chipping competitions in the backyard, you know, just, you know, for fun, like just to do stuff and something other than, you know, play on their electronic games. So I have to admit, I really enjoy that. We'd take bike rides together and you saw so many more people out on the street, just like out and, you know, doing stuff. Um, so I really did like, I, I really liked the pace. I liked how things slowed down a little bit and it was less electronic and more people, you know, trying to talk to each other. Our neighbors would sit out on the street, socially distance and have cocktails at five o'clock once or twice a week. And, you know, New Orleans is a very friendly place. I mean, you know who your neighbors are. They know who you are. You know, it's not like in some cities where, you know, people have, they know who their neighbors are, but they never talk to them. But it was even, you know, there was more of that. I, I thought that was great. Um, I, I don't know. I think that was probably the biggest thing I took away from it was that it kind of made you yearn for for a time back before all the electronics and before all the social media when people were forced to actually talk to one another. Yeah, that was a norm. You would keep yourself entertained and you didn't. we didn't have these phones and... Um, there's something that's happened with me where uh, I've really made a – I know this doesn't sound healthy, but I've really made a point of avoiding the news. So, there's there was never much you know, television news on. But then I just um, – I didn't find it helpful or productive. And then I realized if I, after I went on a bit of a news hiatus for you know maybe just every day, but uh, just stopped looking at it. And, of course, I, I, I removed all the social media apps from my phones a long time ago. And I use a really small phone so that I won't – particularly want to, uh, it just made me feel so much better. Um, it, it increased my focus and, you know, that was, that was an interesting thing. So that's, uh, yeah. And I think, um, the other thing is that you probably are like a lot of people where you start to appreciate having been around a lot of other people, you know, or going to live music or, uh, going to restaurants and that type of thing. Now, are you in, do you live in the city of New Orleans? We live just across um, the what they call the parish line. In, in, we have, in Louisiana, you have parishes. In most states, you have counties. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we're just across the parish line. But it, you know, people forget how small New Orleans is. It's, it's really sort of like Manhattan. It's very, very compact. So, you know, from my house to downtown New Orleans is, you know, five minutes. So you're from Austin. You went to Texas. Your wife is a TCU grad. New Orleans, how did that happen? Oh, she's born and raised here. Oh, okay. 
Yeah. Like if you ever meet anybody who's from New Orleans who didn't grow up here, the next question you ask them is, is your, and if they're married, just say, is your husband or wife from New Orleans? And the answer will 99% of the time be yes. Oh, really? Yeah. And, and if they're not from there, they're still friendly. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's just, it's really funny. This city has like, it just has this incredible uh, pull on its people. They, they want, when they leave, they all just want to come back. And, yeah. and live here. They don't really want to leave. It's very incestuous. Like there's maybe one degree of separation here. And that's if you're a transplant. It's, yeah. it's crazy. It probably feels like an even smaller place than, uh, than it is. And I remember growing up in San Antonio that there was some slogan they always use where they'd say it's one of America's four unique cities. And the other three were New Orleans, Boston, San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, there's so much culture. Like San Antonio, just has has so much culture. Yeah, you know? yeah, and, and there's uh, such such great history there, and well, all four cities, but also uh, in New Orleans. Oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's a, they say it's the biggest little city you'll ever live in. You well, know, it's, it's, yeah, it's and I just fun. wanted to mention that my daughter, who uh, was a senior this year in college in uh, at uh, the University of the South in Suwannee at Tennessee. She came home for spring break and they said, Ooh, I'm afraid, afraid you can't come back and we can't do, uh, uh, we can't do graduation either. But, uh, she went to New Orleans a few years, like her freshman year. She'd never been there before. One of her best friends lived in right there in the city. She went back there for Mardi Gras. Uh, and, uh, so she was down there and I never called you. Because I was only going to call you if she got arrested. Well, you should, A, you should have. Most of my friends will will, will get my cell phone number and give it to their kids. <laughs> okay. um, I actually had a friend of mine from high school that I just, you know, she, and who lives in San Antonio, interestingly enough. Her daughter was coming and um, and she pings me on, on Messenger one day. She's like, would you mind, could I give her your cell phone number? She's never been in a big city kind of by herself like that. And they're staying at Airbnb and all that. And I was like, absolutely. You know, so that they either, they either want my phone number for that or they, or, or they, or their kids want to come. Cause our offices are actually right on one of the big parade routes. Oh man. So I hope uh, my daughter it, doesn't hear this and yell at me for not connecting. Yeah. Me. Well, she would, because it's the Endymion parade. It's actually probably the biggest, most, all the floats it runs at night and all the floats are lit up in led. It's, it's actually, I think one of the most beautiful parades and they throw a ton of stuff and, great bands and the whole bit and our literally our front door i mean the floats are like 30 feet from our front door and so it's it, inevitably we're are you know morally obligated to throw a party uh which we do every year so usually it's one of the two things can can i give them in case you get thrown in jail and oh if they have no place to see that parade can they come to your office and watch it i see and so being so close to the parade route are you able to use that as a recruiting tool uh, yeah, to some extent, 
Yeah. Um, both for go. clients, both for clients and, and for employees. <laughs> <laughs> Even I can't believe Texas A&M graduates will give you money, but you know, Hey, it's, it's all about coming together, I guess. They, they will, they, they will do it. People come together for things like, Hey, I can get a front row parade seat and a place to pee and food and drink. It's, yeah. it's, it's the ultimate gift. And the downside is he's a Texas grad and I'm a Texas Aggie, but uh, you know, Hey, Hey, come on, let's all get along out there. Now, Tom Martin, at the beginning of this conversation, you mentioned you had a client in the alcohol business, which for me brought to mind that scene from Ferris Bueller's Day Off where his friend says, Ferris Bueller, you're my hero. Tom Martin has an alcohol client. Tom Martin, you're my hero. Can you tell <laughs> us who this alcohol client is? Uh, we work for a company called Sazerac. Uh, it's the largest privately owned distributor, uh, I think, in the world. Um, we work on a variety of their products, uh, Black Magic Rum, Cane Rum, Rich and Rare, uh, which is a Canadian whiskey. We, we've done uh, work for uh, Fireball Whiskey, which most people, that's kind of the, that, that tends to be the brand most people know. I've done Fireball. extensive product testing on that. Uh, please tell I, your client, you're welcome. Yeah, I, I may have uh, myself done that. Um, but yeah, no, we, we, we work for a lot of their different brands uh, in different capacities. We've been very fortunate. They were, I think I went back and looked. They've been a, we've been in business 10 years as of May, and they have at least one of their brands at any one time has been on our roster, I think, for a little over nine years. Wow. So they were, they were not one of our very first clients, but they were, they were pretty quick in. Um, so we've been very, very fortunate. Great company, great brands, cool people to work with. Well, all you need now is a cigarette client and you'll be a real agency. No, I'm kidding. That, yeah, that harkens no. back actually, to- you know what? We actually got, we got called years ago, like God, long time ago, uh, by one of those vaping cigarette companies right before vaping got big oh. and they wanted us to do some work for them and handle stuff and social media and stuff. And I, and I, I was like, man, I, I don't know. I, you got to give me a, I, I need a night to sleep on this. And uh, I went home and I talked to my wife about it and I prayed about it. And, and I called the guy back the next day and I'm like, Hey, you know, I'm sorry. I just can't, you know, I just, I, I always said I would never represent a brand that I wasn't proud of or that I couldn't like show my kids, Hey, look, this is what dad does for a living. And I just don't think I can show my kids that I, that I do vaping yeah. and e-cigarettes. And, uh, and the, man, the guy was pissed. Yeah. <laughs> Not but, I, but Tom Martin, I do appreciate you sending him to my agency. Um, <laughs> and I, he Did said, he said, Look, I spoke to this guy. I didn't want to do it. He said he doesn't want to do any work that he's not proud of, and he mentioned your name as an alternative. That's great. I hope so, I hope you made a ton of money. Ton. Yeah, yeah. We focus on. No, I'm kidding. I don't want to disparage our clients. They're pretty pretty uh, phenomenal companies. But now, earlier you mentioned the five P's. Explain what that is, because I do want to at least be able to document that I've provided some value to the listener. Well, the, the five P's. So I've been I've been working for about the last yeah, ever since I published um, the Invisible Sale. Um, you know, clients are like, oh, this is great, top of funnel. But then, what do we do with them? And we had a little bit in the book about how to handle the self educating buyer and a keto selling and so forth. Uh, but they were like, you know, can you help us go deeper with this? And so we've been really working on, um, you know, uh, intuitively, I feel like I know how to sell people, but like, how do I? how do I put that into a process that, that I can teach people? And so that's what we're so, and we, so we've called it sell greatly and the five, it's all based on the five, you know, marketing has the four P's. So, you know, Hey, let's take a known, 
uh, let's take a known approach and apply it to sales. So, but you know, we want five P's, uh, and really it comes down to the five P's. You know, first is proximity, uh, really making sure that you're close and constantly running into sales prospects. Uh, the second, uh, oh, no, wait, wait, hold uh, on, hold on. Uh, there was a term in your book, Invisible Sale, propinquity. Yes. Yeah, no one could spell it, so we changed it to proximity. Oh, <laughs> when I hear but that word, I think it yeah, is. no, it's the same thing. When I do when I do the keynotes, I I, there, I quickly get into propinquity, but I but I pull it back out a little bit to proximity. Um, uh, but then, so it, you know, there's there's proximity, there's preparation, uh, which is a lot about social reconnaissance and doing your homework and and really trying. You know, I mean, the power of social media to me has always been in in the research capability that it gives you more so yes. than even the communication capability. Mm-hmm. And so we you know we really preach about never call it, never talk to a stranger. You talk to a stranger this day and age, you, you haven't done your homework, and that's just downright silly. Uh, so we talk a lot about that in the preparation and how you can prepare, and we teach people how to prepare. We teach them how to do social recon, et cetera. Uh, and then the third P, which I actually think is the most important P, you know, people argue with me on this, but uh, is presence. Uh, because I think that's the, where you really set yourself apart as a salesperson, because we live in, a, in an ADHD world where people are in constant FOMO of, oh my God, I got a text. Who's the text from, you know, type of thing. Uh, and we talk a lot about, you know, presence and how that's, that's like the sexiest thing you can do for a prospect is just give them your complete and undivided attention and, and let them know that for the time that you're with them, they're the most important thing in your world. Uh, cause that just doesn't happen much in our world at all. You know, I mean, when's the last time you walked into a meeting and, and everybody didn't set their phone down right next to their position at the table? Now, mm-hmm. granted, that's pre-COVID. Um, and now we actually have extended that concept of presence to um, how do you keep your prospect present in, let's say, a Zoom or a Skype or some sort of video call, you know, video sales presentation, because now you're, you've got a whole different presence challenge to deal with because most people have multiple screens or they could have their iPads open or stuff like that. And so we, 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 you know, we talk a lot about that. Uh, fourthly is patience, the, the P that sales managers most often push back on. Uh, we are not big proponents of trying to close, you know, always be closing the whole Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross approach. We think that's horrible. Uh, and we teach people how that the lack of patience actually reduces profit. And that's sort of the big angle that we try to talk mm. to sales managers about it. You know, if, of, you know, what are your sales people, when, when your salespeople know that you're on their butt to close you know, as fast as possible and they're not getting the close, what do they do next? And what they tend to do next is offer concessions. And mm-hmm. those concessions are profit many times. You know, they try to give things before discounts, but eventually they discount. That's why everybody wants to buy software on the last day of the quarter because, you know, you're going to get the best deal, right? If you buy it 48 hours later, you're going to pay more. And so we talk about patience a lot. And then the last P is preference. And that is that, you know, I grew up, you know, you and I, you know, we grew up in the world of, you know, top of mind awareness, right? Like, you know, if, if people wanted information from your client's company, they'd call you, they'd call the client, right? And get that information. Like remember back when, you know, when you were in high school or college, if you wanted to, if you wanted to book a plane ride home from, from VMI to San Antonio, you actually had to call an airline and find out if they flew the route, when they flew the route, how much the route was going to cost. You don't have to do that anymore. Right. So top yeah. of mind awareness was always huge because, you know, really how many airlines were you going to call? How many were you going to remember? Nowadays, it's, uh, it's your fingertips, you know, and so it really has to be about preference. You know, you have to be that preferred provider. You've really got to have um, uh, you've, you've really got to make it so that people 
would prefer to do business with you, even in an RFI or RFP situation, like in the ad agency world, when I used to run biz dev um, for agencies, it was always, you know, when we would pitch, I would, when we get in the finals, I always wanted it to be, it was either the agency I was working for or anybody else in the finals. That was always my goal. If we could create that dynamic in the finals, if they were in, you know, as the clients were talking after we all left, yeah, it's a 50, 50, you're going to win. You're going to win that more often than you're going to win a 20% or a one out of five. And so we, we talk a lot about teaching, you know, you've really got to build preference and and then how do you do that? How do you become the per- preferred provider, even in a multi, a multi bid type world? So that's the five P's you roll them all up and we call it how to sell You know, to us. That's how you sell greatly. Uh, and it's really designed, you know, eventually it will find its way into a book that will become the companion piece to the invisible sales so that, we will have hopefully truly given the world uh, a turnkey process, you know, from here's how you drive, you know, here's how you painlessly prospect for leads. And then here's how you close those folks once they come through your pipeline. That book is sorely needed. And I can, I can talk from personal experience where we've done, you know, more of the invisible sale part. And then we're in certain instances, we're, we're driving leads into a really crappy, clueless sales process. <laughs> and yeah. so, now, the, the, the approach that we try to take is to go in the reverse order. So, in other words, see what help they need uh, in the, the sales part and what are some of the things we could be doing almost immediately for them and then work our way up the funnel towards the, the top of the funnel. It be, mainly just because I got tired of um, being yelled at they weren't making sales based on the marketing activity we were helping with. Well... <laughs> Okay. All right. If I'm going to get yelled at, and trust me, I've been yelled at by some of the best in the world, um, uh, you know, and not just at, at VMI, but also uh, at that institution where some of the most successful professional yellers are, uh, the United States Army. <clears throat> I, I decided, well, okay, let's, let's, let's go backwards. Now, let me ask you something. Is that, so that five Ps is the basis of your next book? Yeah, that was my goal was to hopefully write it this spring. Um, but then the whole COVID thing happened and that sort of put that on the on the back burner a little bit. But so I've been mostly spending time doing it, uh, preaching about it in webinars. Well, now all virtually webinars and, and, and keynotes and things of that nature. And we're fine tuning. I'm sort of I've decided I'm going to take the Jay Bear approach to writing a book. I'm just going to write the ultimate presentation and then reverse engineer the book out of the presentation. Because it seems to work for him, so I'm gonna oh. I'm gonna do the same thing. I ran at him at, at Content Marketing World at the speakers party, uh, mm-hmm. which <clears throat> which means free drinks. And right. uh, I said to him, I, "It's the first time I had the conversation with one of these authors who's a really really successful speaker." And I said, "You know, after a couple hundred of these books, I'm starting to catch on that some of the best speakers have the best books." And I said, "Is it because?" Like a stand-up comedian who's practiced uh, their uh, their material over and over and over, and he said that's exactly what it is. He said he doesn't write a book until he's given the talk twenty-five times, and I I think you're you're really uh, taking a great approach based on uh, what I have have seen work well. But um, is if there's anything that I or my listeners can do to tell you to hurry the hell up with that book. Um, you know, please. They, you know what? They can book all the webinars and keynotes and workshops that I can possibly handle, so that I can flesh out the information and really get it ready, so that I can bake it into that book faster. 
Okay, folks, you heard it here. You, you got to help out Brother Tom here. But let me ask you, are there any uh, webinars that you've done about this that are available uh, for them to watch? You know, if they, if they, uh, we, we are actually working on uh, putting one together um, that I'm hoping to have ready to go out in the next, you know, few weeks. Okay. Um, but if they will go to conversedigital.com and in the very top, there's a banner that says, you know, subscribe to the, to the newsletter, to the blog and just put their, put their email address in. They don't have to give name or phone number, rank and serial number. They can just give their email address. And, uh, we always announce new webinars through the blog Okay, and they're always free. And, uh, we always record them so that if God forbid you miss it, you know, you can get it. And I would encourage them all just to go there. Uh, we also have our painless prospecting free uh, email course, which is much more based on the tenants of the invisible sale, but it's a, again, it's a free email thing. You get one email a day for, I think it's 14 days and it takes you through really sort of the high points of how to put together a painless prospecting system so that you don't have to cold call or, you know, send direct mail or cold email or any of that kind of, here's how you can build a system that throws off leads for you instead of you having to make your own leads. Oh, excellent. Well, that's rather generous of you. I will include a link to it at this episode's show notes at marketingbookcocktails.com. Marketingbookcocktails.com. It's as if I got that URL just for authors living in New Orleans. I love that URL. <laughs> so, really it's all do. mine. It's all mine. It. Yes. Well, normally it's marketingbookpodcast.com, but for this separate series, Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails, which I like to say is sort of like Doug Daycare, because by talking to me, Tom Martin, you are giving my family a little bit of a break. So, you know, you're... <laughs> it reminds me of what's the what's the thing they do, the, the what's the actor's thing? They, the, the guy with the beard, I think, does it, where, the, where he talks to the famous actors in the little theater. Oh, yeah. It's, um, he just passed away. Uh, yeah. It was uh, inside the actor's studio. Yeah. This reminds me of that. Only you <laughs> added cocktails, which I think is a, I think is a level up, by the way. I think Thank that you. makes it even better. Um, yeah. Well, I'll actually, it, uh, what happened was, like yourself, I sent an email out to over 200 authors that I've interviewed. I've got some return people. In other words, like Mark Schaefer, your friend, he has been on six times. He's the king of the marketing book podcast. And when I say king, I mean it in an Elvis way, not in a British monarchy way. And uh, so he, there's been a lot of repeat uh, authors who are willing to come back. And within one hour, I'd already heard from over 100 authors. And so it told me a couple of things. One, they were all sitting at their desks. Uh, <laughs> They weren't doing anything else. Instead of on airplanes. Yes. Right. Instead of on airplanes. And a surprising or disturbing, whatever you like, disturbing number said, Doug, I'm, I'm already drinking anyway. So, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm willing to talk to you again, even though I don't have a new book. So I just thought, hey, you know, you take advantage of the situation. And uh, no, I love it. So I think it's great. But I have to ask you, do you have like, like SNL has, like, you know, they have their, I think it's when somebody has hosted it five times, you're like in a special club, like the five time club. Oh yes. Yes. You have that. Yeah. They do a t-shirt and everything. Uh, yeah. The, well, they get a bathrobe and, um, nice. so let's see here. I've actually got a chart of it, a tote board. I should put this on the website, but the six timers club 
was Mark Schaefer. And I, and I'm not kidding when he was the first member of the five timers uh, club, I gave him a week at my beach house in Panama city beach, Florida. And that is, I'm not kidding. He hasn't taken advantage of it yet. So he, I may just say, Hey, just give it to Tom Martin. He'll, you know, he's close. I, I, I was just going to suggest that my family and I could be there in four hours. And, <laughs> so I say that and we could be quarantined and cocktailed and create content for you and yes, all kinds of drive all kinds of traffic to the house. Anyway, the, um, the, uh, and then there's row at Bargava. He's been on f- six times mm-hmm. because he, he was the first guest every year for a number of years. And he's had a couple of, his, uh, the only member of the five timers club is an author whose, uh, episode is coming up in a week or two, David Meerman Scott. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. He, he was the very first guest on the show and, uh, I've interviewed him about some of his other books. And then I recently interviewed him about his seventh edition of the new rules of marketing and PR, which is one of two books that had All the right. biggest impact on my career. And then there's, a four-timers club, there's a guy you know pretty darn well named Joe Polizzi. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and there's two others. Too. He finally went non, non, non-business. Well, he yeah, he did the – he wrote uh, – so he's been on three times for marketing books, and then he came on for that uh, – I hear that ice uh, clinking there in your glass. I appreciate that. He came on for A Will to Die, and mm-hmm. then uh, there's uh, – in the four-timers club, there's also John Jantz, who's a mm-hmm. – you know, who's a really big deal. Yeah. And a guy named Jeb Blunt, who's written, he's one of the best selling uh, sales book authors. And actually, you know what? I'm interviewing him in two weeks about a new book about virtual selling, which I know you said you were working on, but I'm sneaking him up to the front of the line. And then uh, Jay Bear is a member of the Three Timers Club, Dory Clark, uh, and and, and on and on. So, yeah. So, you know, I'm just going through all this because you asked, but also I want to give you some goals, Tom Martin. I know. I'm sitting here thinking like, wow, I'm feeling kind of inadequate. I know. I think all but like two of those people you've named, I I know on a first name basis (laughs) and I'm feeling a little inadequate right now. Well, now if you get into the Marketing Book Podcast Three Timers Club, you will get coupons to any New Orleans area Bojangles restaurant. I don't even think we have Bojangles in New Orleans. Oh, you don't? I thought that's where they were based. I don't, I don't think so. Okay. I, I, I'll look, but I'm pretty sure we okay, don't. Well, just, okay, I'll take the beach house. It's okay. As a I'll, default? I'll, trade the coup- I'll take the coupons. I'll trade the coupons. I'll trade. I'll give I'll give Schaefer the coupons. I'll take the beach house. Yeah. Schaefer's really into going to Denny's in Knoxville. I don't know what the deal is with him, oh but- all right, I got to stop talking because I've been, you know, having a cocktail oh. here. But uh, at any rate, well, listen, Tom Martin, great catching up with you. I, as a regards to your next book, um, hurry the hell up, and uh, because I really like another shot at being able to interview you about that, and I hope that you and your family continues to stay safe and healthy. And uh, again, thanks for coming on Authors in Quarantine, getting cocktails. Thank you so much for having me. Always such a joy to talk to you.